This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. Gary Harley's induction into the Maitland City Hall of Fame this year was widely acknowledged. Maitland has never had a better ambassador than the affable Harley, who was born there in 1949 and apart from short stays in Mwilumbar, Cessnock and Singleton, has never left there. A racing and sports tragic from an early age, Gary has had a distinguished career as a journalist, a three-code racing commentator and in recent history, a popular Sky Channel presenter and form analyst. He and co-host Gavin Carmody have built up a strong following on Sky Thoroughbred Central, covering 10 tracks from Hawkesbury to Tamworth. And Gary's laconic style and unmistakable voice have endeared him to generations of Australian punters. Tell you what, it's high time we had Gary Harley on the podcast. And here he is. Good morning, Gazza. Yeah, good morning, John. Great to talk to you again, and uh, you've been a good friend for a long, long time, and we're both still going. <laughs> Struggling a bit in the closing <laughs> stages sometimes. <laughs> I think so, mate. I think so. Now, you've been very good to Maitland, and Maitland's been very good to you. No doubt about that, John. As you said, I was born here. Uh, I represented the town in uh, rugby league, represented the town in cricket. Mm. Um, we, uh, it's a town that's sports mad and racing mad mm. in Maitland. Of course, uh, they had two of the racing codes in Maitland and that was the Greyhounds and the Harness Racing or the Trots as we called them in the old days. And, uh, you know, I was a regular at, at all those things and, uh, played league when I was about 23 and, mm. uh, cricket, uh, about the same, but, uh, what happened with the... Uh, the rugby league. I played first grade at Maitland, and so did me two sons. But um, I had to make a choice uh, between race calling yep. uh, and following or going into the racing industry, or playing football. And uh, mm. obviously, I made the right choice because I was a very lazy trainer, <laughs> as you'd imagine. Yeah. As you'd imagine, and yeah. um, it's been a long road, but one I've loved all the time. I love the racing industry and all three codes. All three. Uh, so many good friends over the years and I've loved it all. Yeah. Gary, let me test your memory here. The Great Maitland Flood of 1955 drove many families away. I think there were 28 fatalities all up in that horrible flood and there were many homes lost. Now, you would have been five or six years of age. Do you yep. have any memory of that disaster? Yeah, uh, my father was caught uh, down in Maitland and uh, didn't come home uh, for quite a few days mm. um, because of the flood waters. Um, there's a long bridge, they call it the long bridge that goes into Maitland on the on the main road mm. um, and then into the town and the water was so high, it was way above the bridge and there was some poor fellas and some that we uh, family knew were hanging from trees, holding on to trees, hoping that they didn't fall in. Mm. Uh, when when the river uh, had busted its banks and it was running at an absolute banker down, mm. down over that long bridge and down the town, uh, it was, you know, very, very frightening. We lived uh, near a 
football oval called Coronation Oval in the western suburbs of Maitland, a place called Talara, and they were dropping, uh, the helicopters were landing in the middle of the ground uh, with food and different things mm-hmm. uh, for people. It, it was frightening. I, I do remember some of it, but not a lot because yeah. I was so young. Uh, but that happened, and you wouldn't believe it, when I went to Mwilamba to play footy and broadcast the races, we had a horrible flood up there. We had a couple, and, um, you know, I helped the fella get his, some of his stuff out. He lived, he worked with me, he lived on the riverbank, and the water was up to our neck mm. as we were trying to get it out, and bloody snakes crawling around in the, yeah. the water. Floods and fires, mate, they are absolute tragedies. Well, being a good Catholic boy... You went to Maitland Maris Brothers, and by yep. your own admission, you were a pretty average scholar, but you were pretty good at mathematics. Yeah, well, I couldn't concentrate. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Uh, poor scholar. All I wanted to do was get home. Uh, I, um, mathematics, uh, I was, that's the only thing I was any good at. And uh, my father was an SP, he booked me for 50 years. And even from a young age, uh, you know, he taught me to work out the bets and different things. Uh, he had a pretty good clientele. And, uh, you know, I was able to work out the bets, and that's mathematics, of course. And I've been able to keep that all the way through. Mm. Uh, but in, anything else, mate, uh, you know, I was terrible, mm. absolutely terrible. And um, I was a very good sportsman, to be honest. And I captained the first grade cricket side, and I was in the first grade rugby league team and I hadn't turned 15 in either of them because I left school since I turned 15. Mm. Uh, but when I, when I in the, the latter six or eight months, um, the Morris brother, the sportsmaster, brother Stephen, he wrote to the old man and he said, look, he's only turned up one day a week. That's <laughs> for uh, sports day. <laughs> sports day, and uh, which I did. And uh, when I... I walked away at 15. Um, mm. Morris' brother wrote to my father and said, look, he shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be going. And without putting it into words, he, he said, um, I could, you know, guarantee that he'd get through the leaving certificate, as we called it in those years. Mm. I left at the end of third year and the leaving certificate was in fifth year. Yeah. And um, he said, if he comes back, and he only wanted me to come back to play sport. <laughs> <laughs> because, mate, all he was was determined to beat other schools in the area. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, I want to talk yeah. to you about one of those cricket matches you were involved in. What about the under-16 team you were invited to join, which included a young fella from Dungog who was destined for great things? Yeah, Doug Walters, uh, absolute legend, a legend in the uh, area not only around here, but all over Australia. Mm. And I was only about 11. I'll tell you the story. Uh, Brother Florentine was his name. And um, he, I was in the primary school of the Morris Brothers, which is on the banks of the Hunter River and the main school's, you know, next door to it. So uh, he said, um, look, the police boys club down at Maitland, there's full of players for the under-16, for the Newcastle competition. It was only played over four or five weeks in January. Mm. Anyway, um, we he said, pick me and another fella, a bloke called Jeff Crittenden, who ended up playing first grade in Sydney. And um, we goes down and, like, we we were just in awe of Doug and a couple of others in the team because uh, they just 
yes, um, when they toured representing Maitland up in the northwest and that, you know, they just mm. hammered hammered those kids up there like Matt and then Bolan and mm. they, we knew that they had a good team, but mm. uh, we we played uh, a few games and we were sort of scoring twelfth man in another few games because we were. Mm. So uh, young, but it was a great experience. But Doug just annihilated them. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget one day at a, a, a ground at Maitland called Robin's Oval. Uh, this team from Merriweather in Newcastle had a very good leg spinner. And was, they had their supporters in the grandstand, and they weren't far from us. It's only a very little grandstand there. Mm. And uh, they, Doug was in, and um, one of the blokes yelled out, Toss up your legs, toss, toss up your Roman. Mm. And the kid tossed up his wrongin' and they were looking for the ball for two days. <laughs> <laughs> he, he hit it right out of the ground. Oh, he, was, he was a – mate, he went up there in those games against Tamworth and that yeah. and had bowling figures of seven for two and things like that. Yeah. He was a better bowler in those days than he was batsman, but yeah, he really incredible. developed as a batsman. Yeah. And one of the nicest blokes you'd ever meet. Champion. He went on to score 16,000 first-class runs, 5,300 yep. test runs with an average of 48.3. Some of the greats yeah. haven't got to 50%. No, mate, you're right there. He, and like two of his highlights, well, they're probably not his highlights, but two things that really come to mind. He was in the New South Wales Colts. I think they're an under-21 side, and they played on the number two cricket ground. He hit a ball out of the ground onto the road, you know, outside the cricket ground, which is an amazing feat. And then one day in Perth in a test match against the Pommies, I think he was 94 not out with <laughs> one ball to go in the day, and he yeah. hit it for six. Yeah. Hit it over the fence to bring up his 100 on the last ball of the day. Yeah. yeah. Tremendous cricketer. We... At the police boys, his old teammates, uh, Freddie Brown, he's passed away now. He was a, uh, he was a policeman in charge there and um, former New South Wales front rower, actually, in the rugby league. Mm. But he'd come back to Maitland to live and he looked after us there. And he, when Doug got picked to play in the um, New South Wales team to play Queensland, 17, I think he was 17 or 18, he was in, living in Sydney then. And um, he rang us all up and said, we'll take the police boys bus down and we did to watch him for two days. We slept on the judo mats at the Paddington Police Boys, <laughs> and they were pretty hard, pretty hard. <laughs> and a, a lot of uh, a lot of dangerous people around Paddington at that time. <laughs> but uh, we went there and we went out. He got. I remember it well. Wes Hall, the great West Indian, was opening the bowling uh, for uh, Queensland. And a bloke called Barry Fisher was the other one. Barry Fisher bowled him for one, I think, in the first innings, and Doug got 50 in the second innings. And then quite a few years later, I went back and saw him get a double century against the West Indies mm. at the SCG. Just a great bloke, a great cricketer, and loves a punt. Yep. Loves a punt. Loved Lives the cigarette for many Indian years. He, he's, given oh, us, yeah. he's given it away, though. Yeah, he's had to. Had to. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't mind a cold beer either, Gas. Absolutely loved it. He, uh, I did a lot of, got him up here to do a lot of shows, guest speaking in various clubs and that for uh, yeah. sporting organisations. And he, remember they had that twoies, I think it was, had that beer point oh five. Yep. Well, he always said at the function that was his batting average in England because he didn't do well in England point oh five. 
He had a sense of humour, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, he did a great he, sense. And a quiet bloke, but oh, could he hit a cricket ball? Wow. <laughs> a catalogue of almost 200 horses will be offered for sale at the final Inglis auction of the year, the 2019 Ready to Race sale at Riverside Stables on Tuesday, October 22nd. All horses of two-year-olds, broken in and prepared by experienced horse people and presented for sale, literally ready to race. Each horse will undertake a breeze-up session, which is a gallop ending in a 200-metre sprint. Each breeze-up will be recorded, which will enable prospective buyers to get a gauge on a horse's action, size and potential ability. There'll be an additional breeze-up session this year at Eagle Farm in Brisbane on Monday, September the 23rd, and other sessions will be held at Cranbourne, September the 13th, Warwick Farm, September 20th, Taupo in New Zealand, September the 23rd, with a second session at Warwick Farm on Friday, October the 18th. The strength and quality of the English ready-to-race sale catalogue is unparalleled in Australasia. Gary, one of your fondest memories from school days is the special job you were given by the brothers every Melbourne Cup day. Yep, I had to uh, do a phantom call. It didn't matter what class I was in, from first class through to third class and in the primary as well. Uh, phantom call of the Melbourne Cup. Every year did it for quite a long time and the kids used to love it because they got a bit of time off. And I used to ramble on as well as call the uh, call the race on the morning of the cup. And we always stopped. The Morris Brothers loved uh, the school stop for the Melbourne Club and the Melbourne Cup in the various classes. Mm. And uh, yep, that that was great. The kids loved it. And so I did you? Fine doing it. Yeah. Well, I was always going to be a race caller. Um, yeah. In the early days, uh, the old man was Jack. He was racing mad. He come back from yeah. the war and fought against the Japs overseas, and then he come back. Couldn't get a job for a while. Then he got into the coal mine, mm. uh, and then his last twenty years of working, he was in the parks and gardens. If you ever been to Maitland, John, they have got a mammoth um, park. Mm. They got five cricket fields on the park. Mm. Um, and they've got a tennis field, a bowling club, and a bar, and the bars. Mm. And uh, he was uh, one of the top men there for 20 years. He prepared a cricket wicket at the Maitland Sports Ground mm. for the game between the New South Wales Sheffield Shield team and uh, Northern New South Wales. Mm. He prepared the wicket there, and he's very proud of that. We had great players like Bobby Simpson, Norm O'Neill, Brian Booth, mm. and those in those days. Mm. Uh, but he was racing mad, and yeah. um, and in those days, you know what it was like. He only raced on Saturdays and Wednesdays. Yeah. There was a provincial meeting, but he, he was a city punter. He only punted on the Saturdays after, yeah. you know, working in the coal mine. And that, and um, I, I used to run the bets up to the SP for him, jump the back fence, and up you'd go. And yeah. uh, We had three SP bookies within 200 yards in uh, Maitland. There was no tab or anything in those days. Mm. In the western suburbs of Maitland, where I lived, there was probably about 20 SP bookies in Maitland. <laughs> it, it was thriving at the time. And yeah. he'd say to me now, jump the back fence, go up to Tommy's and knock on the back door, hand him the, the little slip with the money in it and run back. He said, if you see any strange cars uh, <laughs> that might look like coppers, don't go in, keep going past. 
Oh, dearie. You know, like, we were, we were born. I was born. I, there was me and my sister was two years younger, my yeah. other brother. Yeah. He's got a pub in Taree. He races horses. Mark, he's, uh, yeah. he was 16 years younger than me. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in those days, I was really educated into the racing and loved it yeah. uh, from the first time. And that's how I learned to work out bets and um, uh, got the great love for racing. And uh, I know you knew these people very well. Uh, you work with them, but in the early days, every Sunday morning on the black and white TV was Clarence the Clocker yeah. and the great Ken Howard. Yeah. Every Saturday morning, he'd watch them and, and he'd love Neville Selwood and George Moore. Nearly yeah. every bet was on them. Mm. You know, he, he had his favourites, but uh, he uh, he used to go on the train a lot to Ramwick, take his a young brother-in-laws with him who had started punting, you know, they were 19 or 20 or so. Uh, but then he had a sister uh, lived halfway between Maitland and Newcastle. She was a crackerjack greyhound trainer. Mm. Uh, she was. So, you know, we were, we were race mad, race mm. mad. Gary, you've mentioned Clarence the Clocker, whose real name was <laughs> Arthur Davies. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I should pay him this posthumous uh, honour, this posthumous compliment. Clarence the Clocker... Uh, that show, the Clarence the Clocker show, changed its name in later years to TV Form Guide, but he yep. was still on it. The format was the same. Now, that show ran for 22 years. Now, in all my years around the television industry, I've never heard anybody uh, pay due credit to the fact that that man, Clarence the Clocker, was uh, for an unbroken period of 22 years live every Saturday on, on the Channel 9 network. A remarkable yep. performance. Yeah, a, a real character. God, he was a funny man. Mm. And he blended in so well with Ken, didn't he? It was fantastic mm. TV. Yeah, great. they were great mates. They were a dynamic <laughs> yeah. duo back then. Now, we've got to give your mum, Cheryl, a little mention here, Gary. She she was yeah. copying racing from all sides. <laughs> now, now, was she gen genuinely interested or did she simply tolerate it? No, wouldn't know their backside from their head. <laughs> <laughs> but no, a lovely lady, uh, quite. I could talk a bit, but the old man's where I got the talking from, not so much. <laughs> but uh, quite uh, raised three of us. Uh, got to say, we were a reasonably poor family because mm. uh, he never had work for years after coming back from uh, the war mm. um, and uh, lived in a little house. Uh, it, with the old man's mother, who was a pommy, and um, what would I say? Uh, very hard to get on with, mm. and um, difficult. Fiery little bugger, yeah, fiery <laughs> little bugger she was. Yeah. Uh, but, like she, she passed away a long, long time ago. But after mum and dad got married, we moved in there uh, at Talara, mm. and um, he, uh, mum was, you know, she what a, she could make. She could make like uh, a a meal, a meal of rissoles and that out of mm. out of uh, you know anything really. She was mm. a terrific cook. Um, didn't have a lot to work with, but mm. I, I don't know how many times I went up to the local butcher fifty meters away and got a one shilling's worth of uh, lunch and sausage. You know, for lunch <laughs> and that type of thing. You're really back in the old days now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, no, a devout Catholic, a devout Newcastle Knights supporter. Yeah. 
uh, when poor old Robbie A. Davis got found uh, guilty, the Knights fullback of um, that supplement or whatever he was taken, and they rubbed him out for a while. She would never, ever believe that. She'd argue with anyone it never happened. Um, she was just, you know, so loyal. Um, but, mate, she was from a racing family. Two of her uh, brothers uh, were very, very good greyhound trainers, and the other brother... Uh, was an on-course bookmaker at Newcastle on a Saturday for years. Uh, so, and her mother, I'd go up and stay there on a Saturday, you know, when I was six, eight, ten-year-old. Her mother would have me running bets for her. Uh, she'd have thrippence each way. And I'd have to run about 100 metres to put the bets on through the day with the SP bookie. Mm. Yeah, so she had a bit of background in racing, but <laughs> wasn't that keen on it itself. I'll no. tell you a good story about it. Everyone laughs, I'd tell. I've come home from training one night. I was only about 18 and 19 playing with Maitland. Come home from training, mum and have the, the dinner or the tea, as we called it, in the oven. Mm. Get out and eat it. The old man would come and sit down and start talking about the footy and mum would be in the kitchen, <laughs> only a little kitchen. And... Um, <laughs> I said, the old man said to me, uh, it was one Sunday night actually after we played, a bloke hit me with a high tackle and mm. he came in and said, uh, gee, that, that bloke, he got you with a coat hanger. <laughs> and mum butted in and said, these blokes shouldn't be allowed to take coat hangers on the field. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, she, the, me. she knew nothing about the game, but she used to go and watch all the time. <laughs> Well, Gary, school day's over, you look for a job and you settled yep. on a position with the good old rural bank. Now, when you work for a bank, you can expect to be moved around a bit and they didn't yep. miss you. They shot you straight up to Mwillumbar. Yeah, well, first off, John, I was uh, three years in Maitland, three years in Cessnock and then to Mwillumbar in 73 mm. and I spent... Two years in Mwilumbar and then back to Singleton. Right. Now, um, you're going to ask me about Mwilumbar, aren't you? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, you did a little race calling there. This was really the start of your race calling pursuit and you did a little football coaching too. Yeah. Um, I had done, you know, a little bit of um, – calling when John John McDermott, he started me off at Singleton Dogs, Johnny, a great friend and still is, mm. um, when I was about 17 or 18. And um, I'd play, I'd do a, I'd meet, I'd race up there and then non-tab, of course, in those days, John was going on holidays. He said, would you like to do a meet? And I said, yeah. Mm. So that's where it started. And spasmodically, um, I did trots and uh, dogs and gallops when John was sick or uh, on holidays. So then when I moved to Mwilumbar, um, a bloke called Bernie Quinn is the chairman. He's been the chairman for about 35 years or 40 years. Mm. And um, he sort of knew, recognised me from calling on 2KY. And I got there and I was um, Peter Diamond, the former international rugby league player, played a season at Maitland. And the old man was... Uh, SP and at his pub down near Maitland Railway Station. Mm. So Peter, he knew me well. And I goes up there and I, I don't, he's the president of the Willembar Old Boys. There's three, there were in those days three clubs in the town, the Willembar Old Boys, the Willembar Brothers and South Mwillumbar. Mm. 
So he had a pub called the Imperial. That was his pub there. And I played for the opposition the first year, uh, all of my brothers. But before I played a game, Peter uh, um, went to the bank manager and said, look, I'm the president of the uh, racing race club here at Mwollombar, and they raced non-tab in those days, and they raced between the cane fields uh, because Mwollombar, they're, they're famous for the sugar cane. So uh, the boss was a lovely bloke, loved cricket, loved footy, loved everything, but not racing. But he said to me, uh, look, uh, we've had a request for you to have a half day off once a month on a Wednesday when the races are on. He said, that's no problem. You can do that. He said, do you want to do it? I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to do it. He said, well, every every month on the Wednesday, uh, you can go. So for the two years I was there, I broadcast every Mwilliam Bar meeting, mm-hmm. and Al Thomas took over there after me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I come back in 1975 or six, uh, 1976, I think, I came back uh, to Singleton. So that was the race calling. Uh, the football, after the first year uh, at Brothers, uh, Peter knocked on the front door and said, uh, I want you to come to our club and I want you to coach the under-16s as well as play first grade. We've got a crackerjack under-16s, mm. which they did have. We got beat a point in the grand final, but mm. um, they did have a very good team. One of them played for Australia later on, Ross Conlon that I coached. So then um, I played for uh, the last season uh, before I... I come home. Um, you know, John, I was only about 12 stone then, and some idiot in the Gold Coast pull up and said, the, the Willowbar old boy is five eights bigger than the grandstand. <laughs> <laughs> I was only 12 stone. Mm. Anyhow, I run into him in the street one day. I said, You're very lucky. And he said, What do you mean? I said, You're lucky I didn't knock you on your backside. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said only that I didn't want to be facing a charge, I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what happened? Sue's uh, brother got killed in an accident in Singleton in about, that's my wife, in about 76, 75. And uh, we we were prepared to stay. Um, One of Sue's cousins lived in Mwilambar, or her mother's cousins, and he'd come knocking on the front door one night to tell us the news, which was devastating. So not long after that, the um, your great mate, Ray Warren, mm-hmm. rings me and says, mate, 2GB has gained the rights to all the TAB meetings, to call all TAB meetings, which KY had had for many years, as you know. Mm-hmm. He said, our race callers are John Tapp, me, Rabbits, a young bloke called Ozzy Smith, and we want you. And I said, Well, how am I going to get it transfer? He said, I've already fixed it. <laughs> Rabbit said, No one would he's lying without asking me. Yeah. I've fixed it. Yeah. I said, Oh, good. He, he said, You're going back to Singel. He got you a transfer. Yeah, which we wanted. And we go, went back to Singleton for a couple of years and then we've been in the Maitland area yeah. ever since at Rutherford and I'm at Lochinvar yeah. these days. John, I'm only 15 minutes away from where Luskin Star was reared by Jimmy O'Neill and, yeah, them, and the, the property is now owned by uh, Paul Whelan. Mm. He, he he lives up there, yeah. Paul, and uh, it's across the river, across the Hunter, so mm. it's a good, quiet area. So mm. we come back to Singleton 
you and rabbits are calling gallops and every now and again, or you're also calling trots and every now and again I'd hear one of you doing Harold Park dogs, particularly rabbits, <laughs> in, for that one year that we did it. And yeah. I covered, uh, I'll tell you what my job was, I worked in the bank, then I drove to Cessnock half an hour away to do Cessnock dogs Monday night, yeah. Tuesday night an hour and three quarters to Gosford to do Gosford dogs, Wednesday night um, about half an hour to Maitland, Maitland Dogs. Now and again, a Thursday night dog meeting in Newcastle. Friday night, hometown dogs at Singleton. Saturday, Newcastle Gallops or Newcastle Dogs. Saturday night, trots at Maitland or Newcastle. That was my week for that 12 months. Uh, at the time, we had um, only Troy, who's now about 45 or 46, and Todd was born when we were in Singleton. But uh, I nearly got shot by the wife when we were in Singleton. She kept saying to me, I'm due for the baby any day. Make sure the car's full of petrol. Bugger me dead at 11 o'clock one night. She's ready to go to the hospital. There's no petrol in the car. Had to rush up the hill to this garage because she had to go to Newcastle, Yeah, which, you know, was half an hour, about now and a quarter away. Mm. And drop the boy, the boy that we had off at the mother's at East Maitland. Mm. Anyway, we got there in time. <laughs> and, um, Obviously. <laughs> yeah, that 12 months lasted there at uh, Singleton. It was great times. We loved it. I had a young bloke there who did the driving for me. I introduced him to racing and his parents are still dirty on me. Yeah. And he, he used to drive me in the panel van everywhere to Gosford and everywhere. But it was great. We loved it. And yeah. then when, when it, the contract went back to KY, well, KY took me back to do um, uh, when Johnny Mack was on holidays or sick, I, I did the meetings. And then your great friend of mine, Billy Hill, uh, tremendous caller and judge over many years. I think he, Max Presnell wrote once that he called 37 Newcastle Cups on the, on the main track at Broadmeadow. And he was the best judge of Grahams in Australia. Mm. And so Bill called for up to years at the dogs and gallops at Newcastle. And he was getting older and he was losing his sight a bit. And he had two bad days where he called the wrong horse. And I think one of them was in the Cameron Handicap. They had similar colours. Mm. And he called the wrong horse and he said, knocked on my door. I was calling in the box next door. And he said, mate, can you do the last three races? Um, I'm finished. I said, what do you mean finished? He said, I'll never, ever call another race Goodness me. of any code, of yeah. any code. So Rocked him to um, the foundations. Yeah, he did. And they, they ran a line in his box in the mine for the radio. Mm. Uh, it wasn't TV then. No. I'm sure. Or was it? Yeah, no. it was Scott. No, 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 not for us. No. Not in 1980. Pre-Sky. Yeah, yeah. pre-Sky. So I called the last three, and then um, what happened? Then Johnny McDermott took over the Gallops full-time, and I took over Beaumont Park Dogs until it closed uh, full-time. Bill went down to Roy Marnie, uh, the chairman, great man yeah. for racing, uh, and said, and a great friend of Bill's, and said, I'm finished. And uh, that, it was sad, and he, he died, John, only about six months later. Yes, I know. Uh, he did. He passed away about six months later, but... Uh, yeah. He was a legend in Newcastle and still is. I'm on the judging panel of uh, Greg Radley, um, Ray Thomas, mm. 
and I of the Newcastle Hunter Hall of Fame. We've only had two lots of inductions, one every two years, and Billy Hill was one of the first inducted. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah my memories of him are very fond ones, Gary. He was yeah, a great. unique character and a tremendous ambassador for the Coalfields. Now, mate, this might come as a shock to you, but this is the end of segment one. <laughs> Only segment one. Now, originally, this was to be episode, <laughs> rather interview number one, but this is only the end of segment one. <laughs> the stallion representation at the English Ready to Race sale on October the 22nd is a who's who of the breeding industry. Better than ready, Nakoni, Brazen Bow, Not a Single Doubt, Deep Field, Rubik, Dundeal, and Shooting to Win. And we've just scratched the surface. Add to that Hinchinbrook, So You Think, Holy Roman Emperor, Spirit of Boom, I Am Invincible, Starcraft, Medaglia Doro, Tavistock, More Than Ready, Written Tycoon, No Nay Never, and Zoostar. Inglis again team up with Racing New South Wales by presenting the sale three days after the Everest. The timing will ensure the attention of world buyers who'll be focused on Sydney at Everest time. October 22nd is the date for the English Ready to Race sale at Riverside. <laughs>